But it's Christmas season. Of course, we love Christmas, and uh, it's favorite time of the year for a lot of us, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year, goes the song. But we're going to talk about a lesson today um, called It's a Wonderful Hope. It's a Wonderful Hope, and yes, that's a little play on words there. Before we get into our lesson today, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to think about this. What if there was no Christmas? Right. That's how you should feel. What if there was no Christmas? Well, I'm going to give you ten things that would be different if there was no Christmas, before we get into our lesson. And as a little trailer here, these things are jokes. I think last week, I think I confused a few people. People were ready with the pitchforks to come after me. Um, I generally like to start with an icebreaker, so these are a little bit humorous, okay? So don't take these serious. But if there was no Christmas, number one, we would not readily hand over our young children to overweight men with white beards and red suits who sit in the mall for hours on end. I don't think we would do that as a father. I don't think I would hand my child over to some man, random man. Number two, if there was no Christmas, reindeer landing on our roofs would warrant a shotgun and a hot skillet. Right? I mean, if reindeer were on a roof, come on, right, Ken? Those reindeer, that's fair game. How about number three, if there was no Christmas, then who exactly did I see Mama kissing? <laughs> mom, you got some explaining to do. My mom is actually here this morning, so little jab in the ribs there. Uh, number four, if there was no Christmas, we would use the same strategy with our in-laws visiting that we do with trick-or-treaters. We would shut off all the lights and duck below the furniture. I'm teasing. We don't do that. I actually love my in-laws. Uh, number five, if there was no Christmas, eggnog would remain in the back of the refrigerated section of the grocery store where it belongs, along with skim milk and Swiss cheese. Nobody likes that stuff. Let's be honest. Nobody likes it. How about number six, if there was no Christmas and someone claimed to be your secret Santa, you would call the authorities and seek to have them arrested. It would be weird. Number seven, if there was no Christmas, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra would be the knockoff 80s band you would hire for your uncle's fourth marriage wedding reception. And that reception would rock. Anyone like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra? Okay, there's our headbangers right there. No, they're a great band. Here's number eight, if there was no Christmas, Ralphie would have never shot his eye out. Kevin would have never, never, would have never been left home alone. Clark Griswold would have never lost his mind. The Grinch would have robbed a bank like a normal thief, and Buddy the Elf would have been locked up for being a psychopath. We're thankful there is a Christmas, though. Number nine, if there was no Christmas, Ebenezer Scrooge would have been visited by the ghosts of Columbus Day, past, present, and future. And that just wouldn't be a great movie, would it? Here, number 10, if there was no Christmas, if someone came down your fireplace at night and ate your cookies and drank your milk, you would not be responsible for your actions, would you? Well, again, that's a little bit of a humorous take on if there was no Christmas. But today we're going to get serious with that question. And we're titling the lesson today, It's a Wonderful Hope, if you're taking notes. And again, we're going to eventually land in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. But did you ever need a fresh perspective in life? Did you ever need to see something a little bit different? Perhaps life has been difficult for some of us. We just mentioned how the walkers have sort of had a tricky 2022. It's been a rocky, turbulent road for us. 
But sometimes a new perspective can change everything. Can it not? Suddenly the walkers are now in Littleton at a new church and our joy and our spirits are high again. Because sometimes all God has to do is change your perspective. Well, that's kind of where we're going today. See, last week we answered the question, why in Advent? If you were here, you, you went on that journey with us and we looked at two different answers from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Does anyone remember those answers? The first answer was because for us to gain everything, Jesus had to lose everything. Wow, you guys were really listening. Good job. And number two, blank is the world's greatest lesson. Do you remember what was the world's greatest lesson? Starts with an H. Humility. Thank you, Estelle. Humility is the world's greatest lesson. I hope we're putting those lessons into practice. I hope we're praising the Lord this season. I hope he's hearing from us often how thankful we are for what he's done for us. And I hope we're showing humility to those around us in the way that we love those around us because that is the Christmas spirit. That is the Christmas lesson, humility and love. So we know why there was an Advent. But have you ever wondered if there never was an Advent? Where would we be today if Jesus never came to the earth? That's a sad thought, isn't it? That's a grim thought. Chaos, to say the least. Absolutely. And I think that thought is worth exploring today. We're going, to fo- we're going to focus on that today, this morning, and hopefully simply change or renew our perspective. Now, the two most famous Christmas movies, at least I think they're the most famous ones, are both about perspective. It's A Wonderful Life and The Christmas Carol. Both of those movies are about changing a man's perspective on life, are they not? And perhaps... You're familiar with the classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Everyone's familiar with that movie, right? Put your hand up if you are. We're all familiar, okay, because I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler today for that movie. Uh, Hopefully you've all seen it, though. Because if you're not familiar with that plot, you need to watch that movie. It's a very good movie, but if you are familiar with it, you'll you'll understand where I'm going today. See, George Bailey is the main character in that that movie, uh, played by Jimmy Stewart. And George Bailey grew up in Bedford Falls. He wanted to travel and see great things around the world, but instead he lived most of his life trapped in Bedford Falls, working at the same building and loan that his dad started. Along the way, George gets married to his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Mary, and they have four children. His job at the building and loan also has a turbulent journey with many ups and downs, and George was a simple family man. All the while, George is trapped in Bedford Falls trying to keep his business afloat. His younger brother, Harry becomes a decorated war hero and receives accommodations for his bravery. Meanwhile, George seemed to be living the standard, unexciting middle-class life in Bedford Falls. Until one day, George's frustrations with his mediocre existence reached a pinnacle of frustration. His little girl Zuzu gets sick and his business hits rock bottom. George becomes so fed up with his life that he contemplates ending his own life in suicide. Now, thankfully, George has a guardian angel. His name is Clarence. Clarence steps in to save George from suicide. And when George mutters underneath his breath that it was probably better if he was never born, and in an effort to get his wings, Clarence decides to give George the best present he could ever give him, the gift of perspective. So the last third of the movie is Clarence revealing to George what Bedford Falls and the people in his life would look like if George was never born. And it's not a pretty picture. 
His brother dies young because George wasn't there to save his life, and Harry never turns into a war hero. And Mary, his wife, turns into an old maid and never marries. And Bedford Falls, the town they love, is taken over by the miserly, cruel businessman Mr. Potter and becomes Pottersville, and it loses all its charm. I want you to picture Littleton, right? If he was taken over by a miserly, cruel businessman and it loses all its charm, that's kind of what it would look like. And that vision that is granted to George is enough to change his perspective on his life. He begs Clarence to have his life back. And after restoring George's life to him, George runs home to his drafty house and his sick kids with a fresh perspective on life. His joy is at an all-time high because he realized how good he actually had it. And that entire movie is based on one, changing one man's perspective about how good life is. See, sometimes as Christians, we lose our perspective of how good we have it, do we not? And sometimes it reminds us, we takes the Christmas season to remind us just how good we have it. Well, we're going to take a similar journey today. And I'm going to be honest, it seems like a little bit of a risk to do it this way, but I believe it's going to pay off in the end. So I'm going to ask you to take this journey with me as we answer this question, what would it look like if Jesus never came to this earth to save us? What would that actually look like? And there's a very important point to this question. We're going to leave today, hopefully, with a renewed perspective on our eternal hope in Jesus. Get there here in a minute. Now, the answer to what would life look like if Jesus never came to this earth might shock you, and it might make you feel uncomfortable. But that's not the point, okay? And we're going to end the lesson today by renewing our hope as we land on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to ask you to take this journey with me today in an effort to answer a question. We're going to purposefully change the language of Scripture today by simply removing the love of Jesus from 14 famous Bible passages so that we can see what the Bible would look like if Jesus never came to the earth to save us. So I'm going to play the role of Clarence today, okay, for all of us. But because we do not want to be found tampering with the Word of God we're going to contrast the fake verses that I made up with the real verses of God's word and see the true glory of the gospel truths. Our goal today is to see what eternal hope actually looks like. Okay? So I'm now going to show you the Bible, what the Bible might look like if you simply take the love of Jesus out of it. We're going to start with the most famous verse in the entire Bible. And again, the ones in yellow are fake, if you can't tell. For God despised the world that he refused to give up his only begotten son, that even those who believe on him will still perish for their sins and spend an eternity in hell. John 3.16 actually says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Fake... Romans 6.23 might say this, For the wages of sin is death, and the punishment of God will be eternal damnation for every sinner who ever lived. The real Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Fake John 14.6 might say this, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. But no one will ever come to the Father through me. 
Jesus actually said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see the hope? Fake John 3, 3 might say this. Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, because of your sin, no one will ever see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3 actually says, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Fake Ephesians 2.89 is a very famous passage. It might say this, For by wrath you have been cursed through your sin. It is your own doing. It is the punishment of God through detestable works of man, so that they are without excuse. Here's what it actually says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Fake Peter 1.2.24 might say this, He, Christ, refused to bear our sins in his body on the cross so that we will still live in sin and die in that sin. We will never be healed. What does it actually say? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Romans 10.9 might say that even if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he could save you, you will still be cursed. Romans 10.9 actually says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 John 1.9 might say this, if we confess our sins, he is just and will punish us for those sins and condemn us forever because of our unrighteousness. It actually says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fake John, first, excuse me, fake John 1.12 might say this, to all who attempt to receive him and believe in his name will still earn the right to be punished forever in the lake of fire. John 1.12 actually says, but to all who did receive him and who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen? Amen. Fake Acts 13.38 might say this, therefore sinners, I want you to know that Jesus refused to die and forgiveness of sins is impossible. Acts 13.38 actually says this, let it be known to you therefore brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Fake 2 Corinthians 5.17 might say this, Therefore, since no one can have a relationship with Christ, all will remain dead souls. New life will never come, and the old will always remain. It actually says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Fake Colossians 2.13 might say this, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God despised you and refused to forgive you or to save you. It's not what it actually says. It says this, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Two more. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 might say this, For God appointed us to suffer his wrath and to never receive salvation through Jesus Christ. 
It actually says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more. Titus 2.11 might say this, For the grace of God that could have brought us salvation will never appear. What does it actually say? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Amen. Did you notice the difference hope makes? It's a big difference, is it not? Are you able to see the perspective of hope in the Bible? How bleak and hopeless would our world be if Jesus never came to this earth to save us? It's very clear, all of us, every single one of us, would be destined for eternal destruction. We would have no purpose. We would have no hope in the world. But Jesus did come to the earth. Jesus did become a baby. Jesus did die on a cross, and Jesus did rise again from the dead on the third day, securing our eternal salvation. Now, if you remember at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey returns home to find the bank auditors and the police officers waiting for him, right? To possibly take him to jail because he has an enormous unpaid business debt. But you see, George Bailey's perspective had already changed by that point. He had shifted from having never been born to having his life and his family restored to him. And George is not affected at that point by the ominous storm circling his life. Why? Because he realizes how good he has it. And as the story ends, you might, most of you remember this story. While he's home hugging his family, his wife and children, suddenly the doors of the Bailey home open and people flood into their house with gifts of money for George because they heard about his great financial debt. And before he knew it, George had more than enough money to make up for the debt that he owed. And the movie ends with everyone merry and singing together. Well, we're going to end our lesson in a similar fashion today, okay? We're going to end on a very powerful passage of truth and hopefully cement a fresh perspective in our eternal hope and our minds and hearts. I want you to now turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to simply read this passage, and we'll make a couple notes on it before we end today. But I want you to listen to the language today, and I want you to think about where you would be without Jesus, and then remember where you are with Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Paul says this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I hope you understand that is for you. That passage was written for all who will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, we looked at a shocking thing. If we take Jesus' love away from our lives, we have a very bleak life, do we not? You take Jesus Christ away from our lives, you take the cross, you take the gospel and the love of Christ away from us, we would have no spiritual blessings at all. We would have no relationship with God. Here's a scary thought. We would have no purpose. It would not matter if you were rich. It would not matter if you had a lot of toys and friends and glory and esteem. It would not matter because we would all end up the same place, condemned. We would have no inheritance. We would have no lasting value of anything that we own. We would have no Holy Spirit. We'd have no help. We would have no hope beyond the grave. Without Christ, life is not worth living, is it? But as we mentioned, Jesus did come to this earth. Jesus did become a baby. Jesus did die on the cross. And Jesus did rise again from the dead on the third day, securing our eternal salvation. And now everything flips. That one single event in history flipped the entire world upside down. And that's a good thing. Because it was broken. Now with Christ and with hope, all of these things change. We now have every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Every single one. We have God as our eternal Father. Some of you may have good fathers on earth. Some of you might have bad fathers on earth. I had a wonderful father on earth. But think about God being your eternal Father. That's an amazing blessing. We talked about having no purpose. Well, what about this? The script is now flipped. Now we are God's servants. I don't care what job you have in this earth, whether you're a nurse or a doctor or a firefighter or a politician, nothing, everything, excuse me, pales in comparison to being a servant of the mighty God, does it not? All of us have that purpose if we are in Jesus Christ. We have an eternal inheritance waiting for us. Ephesians just told us that. Now we have something of lasting value that is coming with us, waiting for us on the other side. It will never spoil, it will never fade, it will never rust. Maws will never destroy it. Thieves will never break in and steal it. We have the Holy Spirit guaranteeing our eternal life with God in heaven right now. And we have true lasting hope beyond the grave. I hope you're thankful for that hope. That hope demanded the blood of the only Son of God. That hope that you have today is because Jesus did come to this earth. And that simply remains a few questions for us to answer today. Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth to save you from your sins and grant you eternal life? Because he did it for you. He did it for me. That is your salvation. That is your redemption. That is your inheritance. That is your hope. That is your Holy Spirit. That is your Heavenly Father. If you believe on Jesus, it's all yours today. Jesus made it so simple a child can receive it. Can receive every spiritual blessing if they'll simply do what? Turn away from their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. It can be done this very day. Do you believe? Yes. Number two. 
Has this newfound hope changed your life and joy? Because it always does. If you've received that newfound hope and joy in Jesus Christ, it will actually literally change your life. Everything will change. Your loves will change. Your hates will change. Your hope will change. Your desires will change. Your language will change. Your actions will change. Everything will say, and that's what 2 Corinthians says, all things will become brand new. Has this newfound hope changed your life today? And number three, and we're going to end on this one today. What does Jesus deserve from you because of all he has given you? Now this time of year we give a lot of attention and thought and energy and money to presents. And probably some of you have already done that, gotten presents, maybe even wrapped all your presents. But what if Christianity boiled down to one question? If you could give Jesus a present, what would you give him? From the moment you were saved to the last breath on earth, what would you want to give Jesus? And did you know Christianity really does boil down to that question? You're saved. You're secure. If you're in Jesus Christ, you have hope beyond the grave. Now what do we do for the rest of our lives? If you remember what Romans 12 says, Paul says this, I beseech you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. If you could give Jesus a present, what would you give him? If you could stand there on the last day as Jesus opens the gates of heaven for you, what would you love to return to him? And you know what the proper answer for that is? Everything. Your whole life. Every thought. Every intention. Every action. Every ounce of energy. Every devotion. Every commitment. He, all, he deserves it all. Now before we end today, I want to share with you a testimony of a man that I know and we're going to close that up today, okay? I know a young man who grew up believing in Jesus as a Savior for most of his life. But for many years, that man took that blessed truth for granted. He lived in joylessness. He lived in sin. He lived in selfishness. He acted as if Jesus dying for his sins was no big deal. He was void of purpose and joy. One year of his life, the Lord opened this young man's eyes to see how hopeless his life would be without Jesus. It was an awkward and terrifying process for the young man. The Lord revealed to this young man that if Jesus had not paid for his sins and forgiven him of those sins, then he would have to stand before God at Judgment Day, trembling in fear. All those sins that he committed, both in secret and in public, would have to be paid for by himself in hell for eternity under the mighty wrath of God. Now that was an uncomfortable thing for this young man. This young man was so terrified by this revelation and the prospect of coming judgment day that he fell on his face in anguish and pleaded with the Lord to forgive him, to give him another chance and to allow him to be used for God's will and purpose once again. And as the Lord so often does, he scooped this young man out from his guilt and shame. He dusted him off. He cleansed him of all his sins. He set him on the full-time path of service to the Lord. And that young man is standing before you today. I was that young man. That's my story in a very abridged format. 
At age 26, the Lord gave me a fresh perspective of my salvation and my hope in Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. My hope today is a wonderful hope. Sixteen and a half years ago, my life was changed for good. My sins were forgiven, my hope was renewed, my joy was restored, and therefore my life today belongs to Jesus, to do with it whatever he desires. And that's my story. How about you? Do you have a wonderful hope today? If not, that's why we're doing this, okay? That's why we're here. This is what this is all about. This is why you're here today. Today could be the day of your salvation. Today could be the day that you remember for the rest of your life. Today could be the day your joy, your purpose, your life is restored to you. Today could be the day that you finally understand the wonderful hope you have in Jesus. See, as we just did, we celebrated the first advent of Jesus. We know why he came, and now we understand how important it is that he did come. And the only remaining question is this. What will you do with that wonderful hope? How will that wonderful hope change your life and your perspective from here on out? Number one, I hope you will praise the Lord. Praise him. From sunup to sundown, it says in Colossians to abound in thanksgiving. Did you know that? Abound in it. Let the Lord hear it from you all the time. Let your cup run over in thanksgiving for the Lord. Praise him as often as you can. Number two, as we looked at last week, in humility, love your neighbor. It's so simple, but it's so profound. If you want to show the great love of Christ to this world, love them. Share with them your testimony. Share with them your hope. Love them. Meet their needs. And remember what Christ has done for you. You have a wonderful hope if you're in Jesus today. Can we bow in prayer? Father, there's so much that could be said on this topic. And I thank you for opening our eyes today. Father, at the very least, a reminder, a blessed reminder of what great gift you gave us 2,000 years ago when the Son of God stepped off his throne, when he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, making himself the form of a servant, and then eventually becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is why we're here today. Jesus is the reason we have any hope beyond the grave. And because of Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing. We have every hope. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God as our Heavenly Father. We have our sins forgiven. We are protected. We are secured in Jesus Christ. And Father, for those in this room who may not know that hope, then there might be some. I pray that you'd open their eyes to see the wonderful hope they could have in Jesus. And this is the very reason we celebrate this today, so that we can praise his name and so that lost, dead souls can come out of the grave and have that hope restored to them. And that all of us would bow our knee to Jesus Christ and say, our life belongs to you. Do with it as you please. We thank you for this wonderful hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.